If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Father, I pray that you would help us understand this text. Father, I pray that we would see the risen Christ in his glory. Uh, In front of us, we'd submit to him as we consider being obedient to this text. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Imagine going to a store and buying a $300 lamp. Not just a Target lamp, but a $300 lamp. Bringing that lamp home and taking it to the most obscure corner of your house, setting it on the ground, plugging it in, turning it on, and and then bringing your heaviest blanket and putting it over top of the lamp. That would be crazy. That would be insane. Who would do that? Well, Jesus was concerned that you would do that and that I would do that so that Christ had to instruct us not to put a lamp under a bed or under a basket, but to put it on a lampstand. A major temptation of probably you, I know often me, I think it's fair to say every believer is to fear man more than we fear God. For people to be too big in our minds and for God in Christ to be too small. Probably over the last 12 years, you've heard me share a bit of personal testimony about a friend of mine in college who, he actually wasn't a a close friend, he was a year above me. We, We played sports together on the popularity scale in in school, he was much higher than I was. Uh, he was intimidating to me. He was kind of a tough guy. His name was Joel. 
and uh, and and uh, he graduated from Watertown High School, went to Mankato. I ended up going to the University of Sioux Falls the next year. But over Christmas time, I had heard that one of my childhood friends had uh, turned to Christ, someone who had struggled with drugs and alcohol throughout high school. So I wanted to go talk to him over uh, Christmas break. And, and he said, sure, come on over. And uh, as I went over to my friend's house, Joel was there, and I, I kind of thought, oh, great. I've always been intimidated of Joel, and he was shooting a plastic hockey puck against the garage uh, outside my friend's home. And uh, so I talked to him a little bit before I went inside. My friend was inside, and if you could ever see emptiness in someone's eyes, I saw it. Um, a hopelessness. And I sensed it. And so I sat out there wanting to share the hope of Christ with my friend or, or Joel that I knew. Um, and I chickened out. You know, out of the, maybe in that 10 minutes, the 20 times I tried to get up the urge to say something, I chickened out, ended up going inside, talking to Travis, and a few days later, um, after I'd got back to the University of Sioux Falls, my mom called me and told me that Joel had taken his life. Um, and I remember... <clears throat> specifically where I was in my dorm room, and I just started thinking, basically asking the question, so why didn't I share? And the only reasons I could find were selfish reasons. It was all about how I would look, what he might think of me, uh, the rejection I uh, my receive. The only thing I could think of was selfish. I couldn't think of a good reason. And so I remember then and there trying to make a promise to myself that I wouldn't chicken out again. And that's been challenged many times. In fact, I woke up early a week or so ago, and just felt like maybe I had a last opportunity to basically have the same sort of conversation. And all the same fears came into my mind, and having to do everything I can to get my eyes off myself and get my eyes on Christ and on loving others was the battle of the morning, the, the battle to be faithful to what I was feeling uh, I needed to do in the moment. And in our text, we've been seeing that we are light. And 
we are called to shine the light, but so often we do this crazy thing. With the light, we hide it. The reason why we hide it, because we, you would think, if I'm light, what else would I do but shine? It seems like such a simple thing. But the caveat to it is light exposes. And the caveat to it is most people hate the light because their deeds are evil. This is what the Bible teaches. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. We might say, well, why would someone love darkness? He tells us, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. One of the shows that we like to watch with our girls are these game warden shows. Uh, whether it's Lone Star Law or Northwoods Law, now there's one, Yellowstone Law. And a game warden obviously is, is enforcing the game laws, but they're also running into vehicles parked out in the country in the middle of nowhere. And usually when there's people in vehicles parked in the middle of nowhere, it seems like so often good things aren't happening. And so we've seen it so many times where a game warden comes up with a big light that just blinds those in the vehicle and exposes what's going on. And sometimes it's literally exposing things that are going on. And I'm sure the people in the vehicle can't imagine anything worse than a bright light shining in their window and the law showing up. Most often, illegal or harmful things are happening and they do not want the light of the law to shine in on their lives. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that he, he said this in John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. It can't hate you. In one sense, they're evil, right? But it can hate him because he testifies to the evil works uh, of, uh, of those in this world. In 1 John 3.12, John says this, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's why he killed him. Light showed up. And Cain hated it. So, John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. 
but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. He just said, if you're connected to the vine, which is me, well, then the world can hate you. If, if I live inside you, and I've chosen you out of the world, well, then the world will hate you, but know that it doesn't hate you in and of yourself, but the world hates Christ in you and Christ in myself. So we can see why blankets or baskets get put over lamps. Because what it means to shine the light often means rejection from the world. And so throughout this sermon, I want you to imagine Christ crucified and risen on this side, your Lord, the creator of the heavens and earth, the one who took on human flesh and died for you. And then over here is Joel, co-workers, family members, anyone else. And really, the issue in our own lives with whether we shine light or not will be which one becomes bigger in our minds. Which one do we fear more? And so, the point of this message is to walk in the light, exposing evil with the twofold light of Christ. So we're going to consider what that is. We're going to begin in verse 11. Shine the light of Christ to expose evil for what it is. Look at what he says in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So one of the reasons... Not to take part in the works of darkness is because they are fruitless, right? Paul's already showed us the futility of walking with a darkened mind like the Gentiles walk. It's fruitless. In Ephesians uh, 5.8, just a few verses before this, remember when he says, for at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. And then he says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So there's a difference between light and darkness in this. Darkness is fruitlessness. And those who are light are full of fruit. You could read Galatians 5. And see the works of the flesh, which is fruitlessness that leads to the wrath of God. And then you could look at those who walk in the Spirit, which is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law. There's no judgment against the one who's producing those fruits. Because the one producing those fruits had the Spirit of God living in them and have put their faith and trust in Christ. 
in 2 Timothy 3, Paul speaks of people who don't have fruit, but maybe look like they're godly. Here's what he says, 2 Timothy 3. He says, but understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. That's the first thing on the list. Lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now, this might surprise you. I mean, that sounds like these are people that are just the scum of the earth, right? Here's what he says. Having the appearance of godliness. The people who he's talking about have that sort of fruit or lack of fruit, and yet he says having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And then he says this in verse 9, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So there's an unfruitfulness of those who participate in the works of darkness. Those participating in the works of darkness that are walking in darkness, on the one sense, on the outside can look good, but produce needs to be seen. Fruit would need to be seen. So one of the reasons he says, don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness because it's fruitless. Now, someone might think when he says, take no part in verse 11, this might mean that we should be isolationists or monks or fundamentalists or separatists, maybe those who live in communes off the grid. If we're not supposed to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, does that mean that we're supposed to isolate ourselves from the world. Well, the second half of verse 11 gives us the answer. He said where he says, but instead expose them. So take no part in them, but expose them. To expose them would mean there has to be a presence there to expose the evil that 
is, uh, needs light shining upon it. By participating with them, we would confirm them in their evil. So when Christians participate with the world's evil, it's a sense of confirmation to them that what they are doing is right. By not participating uh, with the world, we can expose the works of darkness for what they are. There's a sense where people ought to say, well, why aren't you participating with us? Why are you different than us? Why do you live the way you live? Paul's already told us that we're to remember the wrath of God comes upon those who walk in darkness. One of the things those who are participating in the works of darkness need to know is they need to know the reality of their situation. Exposing the works of evil can be both passive by not participating in, but often will need to be active and confrontive of those who are walking in the foolishness, in the darkness of their mind. They need to be reasoned with. In either case, light needs to shine. Light can shine passively. You have two people gossiping about some, somebody, and you have a third person refusing to participate in the gossip. Rather than slander and tear down, that person might become more active as they begin to say something positive about that person. We can think of uh, many different examples. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, which shows us what love looks like, here's one of the uh, things love does. 1 Corinthians 4 says, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. So when the light shines, it shouldn't be arrogant or rude. But then it says, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. But it does say it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. So think of uh, crude joking. You have a believer in Christ. There's an off-color joke that God would hate. It's one thing to say, well, I'm never going to tell a joke like that. That's good. But what if you laugh at the joke? What if you uh, participate and rejoice in the evil that has just been done? Well, then there's a confirming. Now there's a Christian who, in one sense, is not shining light and, in a sense, is confirming, rejoicing uh, in evil. 
by not participating in carousing behavior, whether that be drunkenness, sensual dress, or talk, gambling, uh, not participating in those things is one way to shine the light. Maybe the people you're around, that's what they partake in, the unfruitful works of darkness. What do they think you think about it? It's a good question to think through. How about participating in Snapchat or Instagram? Maybe you say, well, I'm never going to snap something like this, or I'm never going to put on my Instagram account something like this, but I am going to entertain myself with everyone else's darkness and shake my head and say, man, these, these people are messed up. Is this not a form of entertainment, rejoicing in the evil that in someone else's darkness? Maybe even fooling yourself. Maybe it makes you feel good about yourself, but secretly you kind of like the person that you follow that is unrighteous because there's darkness in your heart maybe. There's sin yet to be killed. Here's what John MacArthur says in this regard. He says, many Christians do not expose and rebuke evil because they do not take it seriously. They laugh and joke about things that are unadulterated, all unadulterated wickedness. They are immoral and ungodly in the extreme. They recognize the sinfulness of those things and would likely never participate in them, but they enjoy them vicariously from a distance. In so doing, they not only fail to be an influence against the evil and are instead influenced by it, contaminated by it to the full extent that they think and talk about it without exposing and rebuking it. There's actively exposing darkness that is needed so often in our lives. This was what might seem so scary to do. It is necessary to actively not merely not participate in, but actively uh, uh, expose the works of darkness when the lack of participating fails to communicate the evil in it. In a sense, we're always supposed to be light. We're always supposed to have the effect we are meant to have, and that is to expose evil for what it is. It's futile, it's fruitless, and it leads to the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides on everyone who walks in darkness. And the light that we are to shine is the light of Christ, and Christ is set forth in the Scripture. That is the light. The light is the Scripture. We need to be people who speak the truth of God's Word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't want to be the one that exposes someone naked before his eyes. I, I, I don't want to be the one to be the wet blanket on all the fun that is happening. Because if I bring the Word of God, that's what the Word of God does. 2 Timothy 4, Paul's called to preach the Word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In season and out of season. Ready when it's popular, when it's not popular, when it's going to go good, when it's not going to go good. In Titus 2, verse 14, Paul tells Titus, he gave himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. It's an active exposing. Reasoning with them about the futility of, of walking in darkness, warning them, rebuking them, contending for the faith, and pointing them to Christ. This is what we're called to. Now get this. Actively exposing evil is loving. Actively exposing evil is loving when the one doing it does it remembering who they are. They are who they are by the grace of God. Let me say that again. So, Actively exposing evil is loving when the one doing it remembers who they are. They are who they are by the grace of God. Because love is a matter of the heart, is it not? Love is the matter of the motive of the one who's doing the exposing. And as Christians, we're never exposed to expose evil as though we were never evil, as though we weren't saved by the grace of God. We ought to always say, such am I apart from the mercy of God. Whoever, whatever light we're shining in to the works of darkness, we would be doing that apart from the sovereign grace of God. Which means the gospel must always inform our sincerity, our attitude, our tone, and the nature of how we expose evil. Let me say that again. The gospel, therefore, must inform our sincerity, attitude, tone, and nature of how we expose evil. We must remember 
Only light exposes darkness. You can't expose darkness by greater darkness. You can't repay evil for evil. Light exposes darkness. And if we are to be light, then we can never forget who we are. We we need to remember the light is shining through a sinner saved by grace. Which means it's never fun in the sense that I get my identity by being a good one and the one I'm exposing is a bad one. It's, this is the trap the Pharisees fell in. They gained their identity by viewing themselves as better than those people who do those things, and they loved exposing them because it exalted themselves in their own minds. But get this, even so, not exposing the unfruitful works of darkness is never loving. Let me say that again. Not exposing the unfruitful works of darkness is never loving. Because loving, if we're going to take the word agape, remember, is self-sacrificial love for the good of another. In fact, when we don't expose the unfruitful works of darkness, it's wholly selfish. It's self-preserving. It's the opposite of love. What keeps our mouths shut? This is what we talked about at the beginning. When we as Christians do not expose evil, is it not often because we are afraid of being judged? Afraid of being challenged? Afraid of being considered prudish or holier than thou? Afraid of potential conflict in tense situations? All those things are about ourselves. All those things are selfish. Our own fear of having to pay too high a price in regards to our reputations and our relationships and having to forfeit the control of our own comfort in that day. If I shine as light in this moment, I forfeit the comfortable feeling I have right now, and I like to be in control of my comfort. All that is self-preserving and is by definition the opposite of love. It is never loving as Christians not to shine the light of Christ which is a twofold light. It exposes evil and it also shines the hope of Christ. For the heart that is so broken and so hopeless that it becomes repentant, looking for a savior. Surprisingly, Many of us, it is probably true that more often than not, when we do not expose evil, we do not feel much guilt. So when we don't, I know there's times you don't, 
There's times that I don't. And what I'm arguing is surprisingly often we don't even feel guilty about it. Why would that be? This is because our consciences have become hardened by continually convincing ourselves, justifying our actions in a sense, that we are silent because of love. You know, we're not troublemakers. We're not going to stir the pot. Or we might say, well, I'm just patient. I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Who am I to expose evil? Or we might say something like, it's not the Spirit's timing. You know, Jesus died for me, (laughs) drank the wrath of God, but I'm not for sure that the Holy Spirit wants Christ shining forth now, you know. And so, not only do we cover the light that we are, The scary thing is, is when we do it, potentially, we don't even feel guilty about it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. I think this text is, in one sense, always on my mind in this regard. Uh, when thinking about this topic. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. All right? Remember these people over here? We're not talking about them thinking you're a big meanie or them not being your friend anymore, or them thinking you're weird. Jesus is imagining these people killing your body, all right? Here's what Jesus says. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Are you not of more value than many sparrows? Are you really going to fear them? They can't do anything except kill your body. And look how much value you have to me. I know the numbers of hairs on your head. Who's going to be big in your mind? It's what Christ is saying. And then he says this, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men... The Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You see, this isn't, Jesus doesn't talk about this as optional for believers. This is rubber meets the road Christianity. 
This is, yeah, I know you want Jesus to be your Savior, but is he Lord of your life? Is he the one that is bigger than all these people over here? Is he worth it? Even if they kill you, is he Lord? Are you ashamed of him and his words? Are you ashamed of the light that brought you life? And so Paul calls us to not only not participate in the works of evil, but we're to expose them. And then in verse 12 he says, For it's even shameful to speak of the things they do in secret. That word secret is orgia. Where you get the word orgy. It's shameful to even speak. To speak of them means you have to be thinking about them. Christians aren't those who expose the works of evil in that we just, oh, we look at all that they're saying and all that they're doing and we put it in our mind. No, it's even shameful. We're not those who go on in detail about the uh, unfruitful works of darkness. There's some Christian teachers that think it's helpful to give great detail in these areas. And it's shameful to even speak of them. And then he says in verse 13, but when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. In, in Luke 18, 17, Jesus says, for nothing is hid that shall not be made manifest, nor anything secret that shall not be be known and come to light. If that's true, if they're going to be exposed anyway, why not be exposed now? Because when it, when the secrets of men are unveiled before Christ on judgment day, there's no hope anymore. There's no hope anymore on that day. They're going to be exposed. Nobody gets to hold up their own respectability before the God of the universe in and of themselves. Everyone will be found naked except those who are clothed in Christ. And those were found naked, and that's what drove them to Christ. Nobody gets out of being exposed. Anything... Uh, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And then here's the best part, and we're at the end of the sermon, which is the bummer, verse 14. And then it says, for anything that becomes visible is light. And then it says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. This is the second part of light. Light exposes the evil, but light also, according to the sovereign will of God, those who are asleep, which our text says, dead, all of a sudden has light waking them up. The sun rises, wakes those from the dead, so that the light of Christ can shine upon them. And that can't happen unless light exposes evil for what it is first. 
and wakes them up to the need and the only hope of the Savior. See how sad it is when a lamp gets put under a basket? How is there supposed to be brokenness over sin when there's no light exposing it for what it is? How is anyone going to cling to Christ when they don't know judgment is hanging upon them and what Christ has to offer is to be the propitiation, the one who absorbs up that judgment? For anything that becomes visible is light. Remember back in verse 8 where it says you were darkness and you are light? Well, now you see something here. The light that you are is a reflected light, is it not? You didn't become light on your own. You're like the moon where Christ shone upon you and now you're light. Not because the light comes from you, but because the light of Christ shines upon you, which is all the more reason why we should be humble lights who reflect the mercy and grace of Christ that is shown upon us. Mm, I'm trying to decide... Well, let me draw it to a close here. And then I do want to come back and spend more time because this is rich. He says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Now there's a debate that we'll talk about. What does it mean when it says, therefore it says? There's no particular scripture that has these exact words in it. So there's a debate over whether this is an old baptismal hymn. And Christians are called to remember their baptism. When they went under the water, they were dead to sin. Uh, Christ paid for them, resurrected. And so they're to recall what God has done for them. Another view is that this is basically saying it's an evangelistic text that we're supposed to shine so that People who are dead in their sins can awake and Christ will shine upon them. And then, in one sense, uh, they're all true. It's just, what, what is the text pointing to? And the other one is that it's speaking to our glorification. When one day, though we sleep, our bodies will rise from the dead and we'll have a glory of Christ far beyond uh, what we have but I do want to show you Isaiah 60 in closing. Because I, this is what I really lean into, I think, for what Paul has in mind. I think it's several texts in Isaiah, texts from Malachi. We'll look at those. But Isaiah 60 says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth 
in thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. I think that's what Paul has in mind. We're to be those who shine in such a way that exposes evil and shows them Christ, the light that we've been given. So we reflect the light of Christ to those around us because they're going to be exposed. They're going to be exposed anyways. Nobody saves face. And that's why he says, Make the best use of your time for the days are evil. Every day that goes by is a day we shine or we don't shine. And the days are evil and the darkness is thick on this earth. But God has called his saints to shine. 